Hey everyone, it's been a little while since I've been up here, kind of uh, been through some bodily changes. I birthed another child since last time I was up here. Um, so tonight, I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to do with your life. I'm going to answer all your questions. I mean, I might. So here we go. Well, we all know that we're supposed to trust God. It's something that if you've been in church for any amount of time, even if you haven't, what do you hear people say all the time? Hey, trust God, trust God. Proverbs 3, 5, probably half of you could say it by heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. But did you know that by the very nature of obeying the Bible, of trusting God, that means that there has to be parts of our life that are unknown. In order for there to be value in your trust, you must have an element of unknown or else there is no value there. What's the point in saying, hey, I trust you, if you already know the exact outcome of what's gonna happen? Trust doesn't really mean anything. If you say, hey, I trust you that you, are, you wrote a book. Well, if I already saw the book, published on the shelf with your name on it as the author, saying I trust you that you wrote the book, doesn't really mean that much. The value of trust is in accordance with how much we don't know. So if trusting God actually implies that we can't know all the details of our life that's to come, how do we make crucial decisions? How do we know what to do next? The Bible says to trust God, which the value of trust is related to how much we don't know. So if there's value in my trust, that means I can't know. How do I even know what to do next? So we're gonna talk about that tonight. So uh, I am married to Eric Knopf. If you have not been to Epic much and you don't know the names of very many men here, probably one in 10 is named Eric. So just say, hey Eric. Um, I'm married to the one that has a little bit more hair than the other one in the front. Um, and if you are pretty new to Epic, you probably have never really seen me before because Eric's been up here preaching. And Eric and I are in a season of life that is kind of a divide and conquer phase. We're very, I'm a very practical person. And uh, we have two small children. We have a two and a half year old daughter who, uh, her name is Scarlett Ruth, and she's more fun every week. I mean, more fun every day. She wasn't fun as a baby at all, so I don't know if that says much, but she actually is a really fun toddler. And then we have a very lovable uh, little baby boy who will be four months old tomorrow. And his name is Maverick. I did not name him. My husband did. <laughs> I just have to say in front of all of you that I was obedient to the Holy Spirit, and I just want everyone to pat me on the back for that, because I am the one that decides what's on the birth certificate, and I put Maverick Edward. Um, by the way, if any of you know someone that loves Jesus, loves kids, and doesn't go to Epic, wants to make some money, let me know afterwards, because I'd like to be coming more. Um, but all you great babysitters come here for some reason. Get Holy Spirit, my kids, I don't know. So just let me know. Um, so 
So for those of you that don't know our story, in a really quick nutshell, Eric and I were college sweethearts in Santa Barbara, which is a really great little city in Southern California. And we moved here to Sacramento solely for me to go to graduate school. Um, this was my top choice, was to go to UC Davis. I got in, so we moved up here. We're not from here. And we moved here with a very, very definite plan. And our definite, for sure plan was that we were gonna move out of Sacramento as soon as I graduated. In fact, we used to joke while I was in school, I used to joke all the time that I was gonna get on the stage, get my diploma, and get off the stage with my diploma hand and get into the moving van, and we were gonna be out of there. And this is our for sure plan. I mean, we were moving here for school, for no other reason. How many of you look at your life sometimes and go, this isn't really what I planned? Right? Yeah. How many of you kind of look and go, look at your life right now and go, this isn't really what I thought my life would even be like at this point. How many of you know that life really does come in seasons, in different phases? And I want to say as a side note, just about the Sacramento thing, is that Sacramento has really been awesome to us. We have been so blessed being here. I have totally seen the purpose in us being here. But sadly, it took me years to get to that point. And I just want to say as a side note that Sacramento has been really awesome to us. I need some water, by the way. Um, so anyways, referring to our lives as seasons. It's not really talked about that way in the Bible. The Bible talks about seasons, but it talks about them in reference to nature um, and to harvest for a season of sowing, a season of reaping, and kind of makes this really rich metaphor about how we should be living our lives. But it's really more of a Christianese, like an adopted word we put into our Christian vernacular that our life is different seasons. It's kind of like how uh, we say in a lot of Christianese, we say we do courting instead of dating. I mean, courting is not in the Bible, and I personally believe in dating, but it's something that's in the Christian vernacular. So regardless, it's true that when we stand back and look at our whole lives, if we could just stand back and just look at our whole life, no one can argue that our life has different phases. And I'll just call those seasons. Some of those phases are really obvious. Like you're in school, then you're not in school. You live in one place, you don't live in one place. You have a season of being single, maybe a season of being married, season of working, season of not working. I mean, sometimes it's really, really obvious. But what can happen is that we can be in what is really just a phase. Like I said, we step back at life, life is made of a bunch of different phases. But what can happen is that we can be in just one phase, one season, and we can feel like we're stuck. We can feel like it's never gonna end. And we can really start wishing for something different. And so I want tonight's message to be an encouraging message because we serve a good God. And despite of how we might feel, despite how you might feel, despite how I might feel, because feelings, I mean, your feelings are valid, but your feelings actually aren't the truth. God is on our team. And he wants nothing more than for us to thrive in our relationship with him. And from the overflow of that relationship that pours into every single area of our life, so then we can function as whole people that view everything from his perspective. 
I'm sure that there's some of you, I was kind of thinking about these different seasons, and I'm sure some of you that are in a season or a phase of being single, and you really wish you were in the phase of being married. Heck, some of you might be like, I don't even need to be married. I just want a boyfriend or girlfriend at this point. <laughs> I mean, totally. And then I was also thinking, laughing to myself, because there probably are some people too that are in a season of being married and wish they were single. But that's a totally different sermon. Maybe you're in a job, you sit in a cubicle in your job and you're just like, when am I gonna get to my dream job? Or maybe when am I gonna have the family I've always wanted? Or when am I gonna live in a different place? Or when am I gonna have a really powerful ministry? Or when am I gonna have my dream home? And you want this new season, but you feel really powerless to get there. This is something I've struggled with actually my whole life. I've always been really antsy for the next thing. Like, oh, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? And I've always been good at anticipating the next season, but I've done a really, really poor job of preparing for the next season. Here's an example. Uh, most of my younger life, I wanted to be a veterinarian. And being a veterinarian requires going to veterinary school. So veterinary school became my goal. And I will say there were quite a few steps along the way of people trying to deter me from my goal. Uh, for example, when I was in elementary school, I don't know if they still, I doubt they have this anymore, the Gifted and Talented program, GAT. I'm totally, totally dating myself. I'm sure it's like politically mean now to do that. No, they, oh, they do. So when I was in elementary school, basically a certain number of kids in the classroom could be put in the Gifted and Talented program. And we all know that they were the GAT, Gifted and Talented kids, and the rest of us were not. Well, I had a teacher in elementary school, I know, sad, right? But that's how it was. Well, I had a teacher in elementary school that actually thought that I would be a good candidate for the program. So in order to get into that program, you have to uh, get a test. And now, as an adult looking back, I realized that it was actually an IQ test. Um, and I have vivid memories of this. I think I was in fourth or fifth grade. And my mom took me, I grew up in the Napa Valley, and my mom took me to like a business complex, and I was tested, and I failed and I did not pass the IQ test, I did not pass the criteria, and I did not get into the gifted and talented program. Doesn't look so well for veterinary school at this point. So then I'm in high school, and I won't name names, no, you guys wouldn't know who he was. Um, one of my teachers there, um, I, he told me that I would never get into veterinary school because I wasn't really able to hang in his honors chemistry class. Another thing, not gonna get in. But I'm a pretty determined person when I want something, and so I really focused on veterinary school, and lo and behold, I got in. In fact, I got into a really good school. I got into UC Davis. So here I was in that season of veterinary school, but guess what I did? I didn't do a single thing to prepare for my life after veterinary school. And remember how I said that some seasons, just they have very definite beginnings and ends? Well, at one point, I did graduate from veterinary school. Here I am, now I'm a veterinarian and I completely crumbled. In fact, I had an identity crisis because my whole life had been focused on getting to veterinary school and I did nothing to prepare for a life as a working professional outside of school, absolutely nothing. And I completely suffered because of it. I was in a season that I thought I had wanted so badly, but I'd done nothing to prepare for it. Because here's the deal, the purpose of seasons is to birth growth. The purpose of seasons is for there to be a change. We can't exit one season and enter another season without there being a change. 
So I felt like, I felt so strong when preparing for this message. I felt the Holy Spirit tell me that some of you really need to hear this. That some of you feel like you're in a season that feels unending. And you really want to move into the next season in your life. And you don't feel like it's ever going to happen. You're actually kind of losing hope. And tonight I want to talk about stewarding what you have. How to steward the season you're currently in exactly where you're at. Because here's the deal. I believe that God has many of us in a season of preparedness. And that's not a glamorous season. (laughs) I currently spend most of my days cleaning up people's, very precious people's, poop. (laughs) I used to get paid to deal with poop. (laughs) Vegetarian eating horse poop. And that poop was way more interesting to me than the poop I currently deal with. (laughs) Especially two and a half year old. But I truly believe that God is watching how I deal with poop and going, all right, Camille, here you go. Here's the next thing. Because here's the deal. I want to be ready for the next season and I don't want to be thrown into it. How sad would that be? How sad that would be to crave a marriage, a new job, a new location, children, a ministry, a career change. How sad would be to crave those things and finally get it and you're not ready. Oh man, that'd be a bummer. So as I mentioned before, it took me years of wallowing in my season in Sacramento before I grew up. And I realized that I can't expect more in my life if I don't steward well the things God has placed in front of me. And one of the things God has placed in front of me is living in Sacramento. So some examples for me of things that God has placed in front of me in Sacramento, one of them is doing Christ's life. Have you ever had that thing where you feel really kind of nagged to do something and you feel like you should do it, but you know it won't be fun, so you don't do it, but then you keep kind of hearing about it and you nag. It took me years to do Christ's life. And Christ's life really isn't fun, but what's fun is the freedom you get afterwards. Makes it so worth it. Another thing for me that God placed in front of me here in Sacramento was doing marriage counseling. That had to happen. I'm a really easy person to be married to. So I guess it was more like Eric than in the counseling. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah. I really, by the way, if you're looking for a man to marry, marry a man that will love talking about powerful women. Because I think it's so awesome married to someone that did a whole series on powerful women. But then I was thinking about that driving over here too. I was like, well, if you had to choose between that, read your powerful woman, or teaching how to be submissive, he probably did choose the better topic, being very into me. (laughs) Um, Another thing God placed on my plate here was uh, investing in my career. Um, and I've had tons of rich blessing come out of that. And all things I believe are, these things I believe are part of the purpose of being here. And then I'm not even mentioning my friendships, the relationships I've made, invested in. And I've been super blessed since I started taking care of what is currently on my plate instead of just dreaming about what I wish was on my plate. So I've been really blessed taking care of what is currently on my plate instead of just spending my time dreaming about what I wish was on my plate. And I've had a lot of fun doing it. And I do believe that when you are really doing what God has for you on your plate, even if it doesn't look like fun or doesn't look like what we dreamed about, it doesn't look like what you wanted, I do believe that joy becomes a byproduct when you start doing those things. First Timothy 6, 17 
We might have some verses here. I have a different version on here, but it struck those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Some of you tonight don't feel like you're hearing God, or you even know what's on that plate, like the plate I talked about. Or you have heard clearly from God, like you know what's on your plate, but the prophecy you heard or what you heard doesn't seem like it's happening. Well, God isn't going to give you more until you act on the word that he has already given you. So here's some good news. God does not work on a reward system. Hallelujah. He doesn't work like, oh, you've been good today. Let me, I'll give you a word. You've been naughty. I won't give you anything. There's no way. God doesn't work that way. He doesn't work that way because he loves us so much. He loves you. He loves me. He loves all of us more than we can even comprehend. I personally, I love my children with everything I have. The thought of something tragic happening to them absolutely paralyzes me. But it astounds me to know that God loves me even more than that. And God loves you even more than that. But here's the deal. He will not give you more until you faithfully steward what you already have. This is not punishment. It's actually protection. And I challenge some of you that are discouraged that the next season hasn't yet unfolded. It might be because it is so big that you need time to prepare. So here's, the, here's a, I think, this is a really good way of looking at it. It's kind of like packing for a trip. A few years ago, I was blessed to be able to go to Africa. And I was able to go to a few countries in Africa. It was amazing. It was a trip of a lifetime. Um, there was an author that uh, I, I read that wrote about going to Africa. And, he, and this is a side note. Scientists actually believe that uh, man originated on the continent of Africa. Like the Garden of Eden was on the continent of Africa. And this one author wrote about in the sense of going to Africa and feeling like you're home because you're going back to the cradle of mankind, going back to where it all began. I mean, it just gives me goosebumps to think about. So I went on this amazing trip of a lifetime to Africa, and, but I had to prepare for the trip. And preparing for this trip was enormous. I had to get uh, my yellow fever immunization in order to get into Rwanda. I had to get multiple visas. Um, I had to get my medications to prevent malaria. And I do all these different things to pack for my trip. Way different than if I was going to Tahoe for the day. You go to Tahoe for the day, you forget something, they're Safeway. You just go and get whatever you need at Safeway. In fact, I remember that my, it was once telling my mom about a trip I was doing some year in America. And she's like, Camille you're in America, there's always Safeway. And I was like, oh, there's Safeway. Like, if I forgot my toothpaste, there's Safeway. Like, it really is not a big deal when you're traveling within America. And I thought about what would have happened if I hadn't packed properly for Africa. Like, what if I went to Africa and I didn't take my malaria medication, I got bit by a mosquito, I contracted malaria, and I was sick in a hospital bed the entire time. Could I lay from the hospital bed and go, oh God, why did you stop this trip from happening? Nope, it's because I wasn't prepared. What if I didn't bother getting my visa and I show up and they don't let me in? I think some of us would say, God must not have wanted me to go there. I don't know. I think maybe you just didn't get your visa. (laughs) 
so I was thinking about all the different things I had to do for this trip and all the different things that I had to do in order to do the trip and experience the fullness of the trip and how if one of those things fell apart, it wouldn't be God, but it would be a lack of preparedness keeping me from this trip. So what I want you guys to think about is what kind of trip are you packing for? Are you going to Tahoe for the night? Are you going to the cradle of mankind and you have some preparing to do? So what do we do when we're in a season that we don't like? How do we make tomorrow different from today? I'm a very practical person, like I said, so I'm about to start giving you guys some bullet points. The first thing is you have to start packing. You have to look at the opportunities that are around you in this season, and you have to ask yourself, what am I not doing that I'm supposed to be doing right now? Because here's the deal, we are co-laborers with Christ. We are co-laborers with Christ. First Corinthians 3, eight through nine, says, now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. This means we also have work to do. What have I been doing during my unexpectedly long season in Sacramento? I'm starting to do the work that's ahead of me. I've done Christ life, doing the marriage counseling, working my career. I want to be ready for the next season. I want to be ready for the next trip whatever that is. Number two, listening to him. There's a big difference between sitting still and doing nothing and sitting still and listening to God. Those are two very different things. And I want to talk a minute about hearing God's voice. A few things we need to do when hearing God's voice is we need to create time, space, and opportunity for God. And this isn't just in your prayer life, but it's in our entire life, our regular life. We need to give God a space, an empty space to fill so that he can come and fill that void. Because I think so often what we do is we fill our whole mental space with all our own opinions, our own agendas, our own things we want to do. And we actually kind of don't even give God room to come into our minds. And this has to be a very purposeful activity. It doesn't happen by accident. You don't accidentally have void for God to fill. Like you have to be very intentional about it. And here's something I'm gonna to suggest to you, because I'm sure some of you are thinking this right now. I have been where I've been like, all right, God, I wanna hear your voice. I'm giving you time. I'm giving you space. And you sit there. All right, God, tell me. And it's silent. You don't hear anything. You're like, what's wrong? Okay, I'm giving you time. I'm giving you space. Here you go. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one that's ever had to happen. But I have a suggestion if you've been there like I have. One of the reasons that you might not be hearing his voice in that moment could be that you haven't done what he has already told you to do. One of the reasons could be that you haven't done what he's already told you to do. Why don't we listen to God sometimes? It's because we don't like what he tells us to do sometimes. So what we do is we keep asking for answers. In the meantime, ignoring the ones we've already been told. I don't know if any of you have been there. Hey, God, what should I do? What should I do? And he goes, you should do this. And you're like, that would be terrible. What should I do? Let me direct you this way. What should I do? I'm just waiting for a word. I'm just waiting for a word. And he's like, no more waiting. You can move. I've already told you. And you're like, let's go this way. 
and he won't. It's kind of what my toddler does, actually. She tries to redirect me sometimes. So what do you do when you sense God's leading in your own life, but you don't like what he's asking you to do? Or what about when you desire and you want something, but he is specifically telling you not to do it? Or what about when you're afraid to ask him because you're afraid of what he's going to say? Well, Philippians 2.13 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And this is something I can promise you. Part of God's work in you, part of God's work in me, part of God's work in us, his miracle is to compel our souls, which our souls are made up of our mind, our will, our emotions, to align with his. And we have to work with him on this. We actually have to tell our souls to obey God, even when we don't like it. We have to tell our emotions the truth. I do this almost a daily basis, hanging out with a toddler and a newborn. Like, this sucks. No, it doesn't suck. Camille, it doesn't suck. You are raising up warriors for Christ. It sucks right now. Oh, but you're raising up warriors for Christ. I have to tell myself the truth. And the more we do this, I promise you this, the more you do that, the more you'll see change in your lives. We don't need to be afraid of what God wants us to do. We don't need to be afraid of where God is leading us. He doesn't lead us places if we co-labor with him and we hate it the entire time. He promises us. He's working in us to giving us the desire to do what pleases him. So we've got creating time, space, and opportunity for God. Number two, looking for patterns or themes in your life. You know, there's something to be said for coincidences. I know there's a lot of like Christian sayings about, oh, there's no coincidence, always God. But it really is true that when God is really trying to press something into you, if you're paying attention, you're going to see it come at you from multiple directions. You might get multiple people prophesying the same thing. You might have just multiple coincidences happening. Um, But it will happen. And so I just encourage you to start looking for patterns or themes in your life. That's a good way that God likes to communicate with us. Number three, about God's voice. God's leading is always based in a father's love. So if you feel like you need to do something and that is coming from a place of fear, a place of guilt, a place of condemnation, I should do that because everybody else is doing it. I should do it because that's what good Christians do. I should do it because of this. If it's coming from this place of guilt, condemnation, shame, in negativity, worthlessness, any of that, that's actually not God leading you there. God gives us, does everything out of a father's love. And so you need to examine from where you're being led. Number four, this is a good one. God, this is not even what I've written down, but God is not a genie in a bottle. He's not a genie in a lamp. And I think so often, we look to God just when we're wanting answers to our questions. And we're not really working on knowing God. We're working on knowing what we should be doing next. And the reality is, is that the more we get to know God and the more intimacy we get in our relationship with him, the actually more we're going to know where we're going next in our next season of life. It's funny how that works. I was listening to a podcast by a pastor named Chris Volaton, and he talked about how so many people um, just go to Christ when they're in crises. And he goes, you know, you're in crises, and that's when you need Christ. And he goes, 
people that do that tend to always be in crises. That's not really how you want to live. I see that even on a very human level, my relationship with Eric. When we're both working on a relationship and um, it's intimate and it's close and we're working hard together, we both just automatically start moving the same direction. And it's when we're not doing that that also we start moving different directions. You know, you hear of so many divorces like, oh, well, we just grew apart, we grew apart. Well, the same things with God. When we're intimate with him, when we're deep in our relationship with him, we're just going to find that we're moving with him. And it's when we don't work on that relationship that all of a sudden you're like, why does this feel wrong? Or why does this feel different? Or why does this feel difficult? And it's because we're going in a different direction. Here's a kicker. There are questions you have that I already have the answer to because they're in the Bible. And you don't need to hear from anybody else. You don't need a prayer group. You don't need the Holy Spirit. You don't need anybody to lay hands on you. You don't need to be on the intercessory prayer chain. You don't need to call, what's, um, you know, the charismatic channel on TV. I never watched it growing up, but your parents watch it. Yeah. What is it? TVN. TVN. That was definitely not on in my childhood home, but his home it was. Anyways. Um, you don't need any of those things because it's already really, really clear and black and white in the Bible. Let me give you some examples. Should I date this non-Christian? No. Should I marry a non-Christian? No. But it worked for the other person. I don't care. No. No. Should I buy something I can't afford? No. No. God doesn't want to give you the Maserati if it's, the money's not in the account. No. It's very clear in the scripture. There are things that are just black and white in the scripture. You go, well, it worked for that other person. That person paid the price for it somewhere along the way. And you don't want to be that person. So that's why it's so important that we read our Bibles. I know it's really fun to listen to podcasts and sing songs, but it's really important to read our Bibles in addition. Because often we're asking the Holy Spirit for answers that have already been given to us. Here's my last point on that. We need to have a heavenly perspective. Have you ever wanted or do you want something so badly that you've given up hope? Or you just feel like you've been waiting forever? The Bible is super clear that we should not only look at the temporal of what is around us, so that's looking at everything within the finite periods of time, but we need to view life from the perspective of heaven. And we actually need to operate from that perspective. And we can see a really concrete example of transitioning from one season to another in the book of Daniel. I'm going to a totally Old Testament on us now. Chapter nine, verses one through three. Oh yes, we are talking about Darius, son of Xerxes. He was made ruler of the Babylonian kingdom. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Suddenly Daniel understood that was the time for this prophecy to be fulfilled. It was very clear in Jeremiah. In fact, uh, the reference for the prophecy is Jeremiah 25, 11, if any of you are taking notes. 
So there were 70 years of desolation that were prophesied by Jeremiah. They were now completed. And now it's time for the Israelites to break out of captivity. So Daniel saw this prophecy. He came to an understanding that the season was changing and that Israel was ready to break out. So he turned to God through prayer and supplication and he began to deny himself through fasting. And by doing these things, he then reconciled himself with God. They broke out of their season of desolation. And this allowed the Israelites to move forward into their future and into a new season. What can we learn from this? Two things. One, the importance of intercession. Daniel saw very clearly, okay, now's the time, moving from one season to the next. And he interceded throughout the whole transition. And then number two, timing. It is very dangerous to force a season. And here's Daniel. He's seen the Israelites in captivity. And he's watching. And then he sees when the time is right, when the time according to the prophecy, time to move. And that's when the transition was flawless. Uh, I've seen countless people, I've experienced it many times in my own life, forcing a change. I don't know if you've ever done that. You're just so sick of something, you're gonna make it happen. I've seen people, they're desperate to get married, so they just get married. They don't even really care who it is, practically. They're so desperate to get out of that season of being single. I mean, I've seen people that are um, so desperate to move that they just do it. Um, we have some good friends of ours that uh, a few years ago were really anxious to get out of Sacramento. They really wanted to move abroad, but there was really nothing... Uh, that was good timing about it as far as their finances or their jobs or their house or anything. But they actually got to the point where they were like, I don't care. And so they left. They just forced that season to change and they left a path of destruction behind them. And they lost their credibility with the place they worked and they lost their home and they lost their credit and they lost a lot of things. And they did it all knowingly, but they were just so sick of it that they forced the season to change. Well, that's not the way we wanna live our lives. So we want to wait for the right timing, like Daniel did, and then pray it into existence. So in case you guys can't tell, I'm a very proactive person. I don't like sitting around picking my nose. I don't like sitting around and waiting for something to happen. I actually would like to force every season in my life. I always want to feel like I'm moving forward. But the good news is that no matter what situation we're in, we can be proactive about our lives. We can get into the word. We can memorize it. And if you've ever seen Eric wears, um, he's been awesome at memorizing scripture. He wears temporary tattoos. We could remind ourselves the truth of the promises spoken in the word. Um, there's just, there's tons of verses. A couple, or I have a couple Psalms. Um, Psalm 37, 23, Psalm 32, 8. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. I will instruct you and teach you in, a way, in the way which you shall go. So here we are reminding ourselves of God's promises. So I have another thing for you guys. What happens when the promises don't come true? Or what happens when you hear, feel like you heard from God and yet the promise never appears to be fulfilled? We see in the Bible actually examples uh, in Hebrews Chapter 11, you guys can look that up later. It talks about some Old Testament men who believed God's promises, but they never saw them fulfilled. They never really saw them fulfilled because they're actually viewing them from the wrong perspective. They were viewing them from a temporal and natural perspective. 
And often what happens is when God doesn't fulfill his promises to us according to our own time reference, according to our own understanding, we begin to struggle. We begin to struggle with despair, with defeat. And it's really hard because you're like, gosh, I thought this was promised to me. This was prophesied over me and it's not happening. And I feel like I'm waiting and I'm waiting and it's not happening. And it gets really hard. And this is what we have to remind ourselves is that's exactly how the enemy wants us to feel. How many of you have waited for God to fulfill specific promises about physical healing, about spiritual revival, about business deals, about ministry opportunities, about salvation of loved ones? I have a grandmother who's in her 90s and she is not saved. Time is running out. I'm like, all right, God, I'm ready, ready for the miracle. How many have waited for God to fulfill specific promises about your finances and you just feel like you've never had an answer? And as we wait for these promises to be fulfilled, our hearts can literally become sick and our faith can be shaken to its core. Proverbs 13, 12 says exactly that. And I want to tell you guys that just because you've received a prophecy and it hasn't come true, it doesn't mean that that prophecy was inaccurate. Because we need to look at it from the right perspective. What happens, what our human tendency is, which is a way I'm very well wired, is to look at everything very logically. And what happens is that we logically dismiss our deferred hope by saying, well, I guess God never really did make that promise. Before too long, we're then saying, well, maybe I never have heard God correctly. So we start off by going, well, maybe God never promised me that. Maybe that prophecy really wasn't true. Then you go, well, maybe, maybe I never hear from God, right? In fact, maybe God doesn't even really care about me. Then that misunderstanding gives birth to impatience. And then impatience gives birth to disappointment. Disappointment can give birth to doubt, doubt to unbelief. And unbelief ultimately gives birth to bitterness. How many of you know bitter people? Guess what, guys? This is exactly what the enemy wants to have happen to us. And what happens is that we need to remind ourselves of that to know that it's not by accident that we're going along those thought paths. It's actually the way the enemy is trying to attack our minds. And what we need to do is we need to acknowledge God for who he is and then also see clearly how the enemy is trying to undermine our faith. Are we holding on to God? Or are we just holding on to what we think he promised us? All our confusion about hearing and believing God's promises occurs because we're relying on our own understanding instead of resting on him, on his word. And when we do this, when we filter everything our own understanding, we actually really limit God and we really hedge him in on all sides. All right, God, I'm gonna believe your promise, but it's only through my filters. So that means you can only work through this way and we kind of, to God. We're not even giving him any room to work. Our mind often tells us that God's promises are late. And you guys feel that way. I'm behind. I've missed my chance. I always want to be married. Guess that's over. I always wanted to live, you know, abroad. Guess that's never going to happen. Always wanted that career. Time's up. And we kind of start believing that we missed our chances that God isn't actually coming through for us. 
Even the psalmist cry out, Psalm 77, 8, has his steadfast love forever ceased, are his promises at an end for all time. But you're not too late. The Bible promises us, the Bible tells us that God is never late. God is never late. The Lord God is not slow in keeping his promise. Second Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He is God. He'll do everything perfectly in his own timing. And so our job is to change our wrong perceptions about him. We have to believe in his faithfulness. We have to believe in his loving kindness. And we have to continue to remind ourselves of his truth and not give the enemy any foothold. So my prayer for all of us is that we can be like Abraham. And this is such a great verse about Abraham. Romans 4, 20 to 21. This is referring to Abraham. He did not waver in unbelief. He grew strong in faith. He gave glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. That's it. Thanks, you guys.